Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. It is a privilege uh, to share with you uh, God's word on what I am calling the, the home stretch. The home stretch before Pastor Matthew returns. As he and I planned and discussed uh, what the sabbatical time would look like and how it would impact Sundays, uh, it's, a, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to uh, preach uh, at this point uh, in time. Over the summer, the last several weeks so far, you have heard from several voices who have shared various messages from God's word. Uh, They have all been different and separate, uh, but as the Lord would have planned, they've ended up having a common uh, theme and and have come together without us intending it. Worship uh, from Pastor Scott, a a series on worship and and looking at what that means for us in our lives and and, and means outwardly, being on mission and sharing uh, Jesus, uh, God says go. Discipleship, uh, both personally and and mentoring others and what it looks like in the home and how vital that is. All of these tie together in the form of spiritual growth, spiritual growth for, for our life, growing as a believer Uh, In these areas is fundamental for a successful and sanctified life in Christ. Today and the next three Sundays, uh, we are going to dive into the book of Colossians. Colossians in the New Testament, God's word here provides an incredible challenge and encouragement to the church and to every individual believer that in reality is the starting place to carry out in practice and in authenticity the messages that we have heard uh, these past several weeks. It, is also, uh, it also has a consistent message for those who don't know yet the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. Beyond that, uh, the theme of this series also serves to prepare and challenge us the local church here at Crosslink, as we look forward to our pastor's return, as we look forward to his return, we look forward to renewed vision uh, and ministry uh, that the Lord has within his messenger and shepherd, Pastor Matthew Kirkland. But we need to be ready for that. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for him to, to be back As we commissioned our pastor into his time of sabbatical, we did so with a challenge, if you recall, that originated many years ago with the message, give God a chance. He will never fail us. We may fail, but he never will fail. The scripture where that challenge came from was in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse three. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Can you imagine what it would be like? What God could do? What God could do in your life? In your family's life? In our pastor's life? In the life of our church? If we give him a chance, if we give God a chance, great and mighty things indeed. Are we ready? 
Paul exhorts Timothy as a pastor to always be ready in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. In Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, Ephesians 6, and 2 Peter 2, 3, all give similar exhortations to us, the believers, to be ready. Time is not the fire in in which we burn, as some say and some live, but time is nigh for the Lord's return. And as disciples of Jesus... We are called and commissioned for the ministry and mission that God has entrusted us with. It is my prayer that over the next few weeks, we will be ready. We need to turn our hearts and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ always and in all ways to be ready for what he has for us to do and who he has for us to be as individual disciples and collectively as a church. I believe the Lord has a challenge for us as a church to be all in, all in. Well, that can sound exciting and generally passionate, but for what? We can be all in for a lot of things. We can have an all in mentality with a lot of things in life, both positive and that have negative connotations. The first and obvious thing that comes to mind is athletics. A sport we play or our kids play and are involved in, we can be all in. When it comes to being a fan of our favorite sports team too, a certain lead pastor and his Alabama football team is a great example. We can be all in for the hobbies we participate in, the interests, we have, the career we have, our families, some of us get all into a TV show or movie that we are excited about. Some of you can be all in for a certain animal. I'm not lying about that. Some of you got that, good. The rest of you need to wake up. Join me in a moment. Some of you um, can get excited about things like that, uh, but they can take over, as lions have in my life. We can also end up with an all-in reality with things we should have nothing to do with. Temptations and sin that we never thought we would find ourselves in nor want said of us. Things that ultimately can be destructive and even deadly. All-in. There is only one way to be all-in and be completely all-right because if we are all-in here, the other areas of our life will be in proper alignment. We need to be all in Christ, always and always. Paul's letter to the Colossian church gives a perfect explanation of a mindset of always and always Christ and how to be all in, which is what we will look at today. Are you with me? As we study this letter from Paul to the church, we will handle it both verse by verse and passage by passage. Since we are covering in context entire chapters in the length of one service so as to not be here until 3 p.m., unless y'all want to. We can make the other service wait. Um, 
Instead of a whole chapter, uh, which we are addressing, uh, we're going to read together a key verse or two that I believe central to the message each chapter uh, has, and then unpack that theme of the message with that verse as kind of a lens in context of the whole chapter. So for today, in chapter one, if you're physically able, please stand as we read briefly Colossians chapter one, verse 29. For this purpose also I labor in me. And may the Lord bless the reading and application of his word this morning. You may be seated. Colossians is one of the shorter uh, of the Apostle Paul's uh, letters. It is also one of the most exciting. Writing to a young church, discovering what it was like uh, to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow him, Paul encourages them in their excitement, but also gives a challenge to firmly embrace the truth of the gospel and the reality of Jesus Christ as supreme in all teaching and singular in all focus. Early in its beginning, the church faced one of its most severe challenges in the complex and confusing intellectual culture of ancient Colossae. Are we talking about the early church times or today? Both. As the same attacks, the same false teachings, and the same struggles exist today as they did then just in new and modern forms. Today, we can't blink without finding many that seek to exclude belief in God from every corner of modern life. And we know that. From whatever angle one looks at Colossians, it is up to date, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. Its timeless message speaks to the dilemmas and deviances facing us today, to the problems and predicaments of our times. Colossians presents Jesus Christ as the answer. And Paul does so in a way that convicts and challenges us in the Christian life. We must find ourselves striving to be all in Jesus or else we will find ourselves stagnant or struggling through the life he has called us to. Otherwise, we will be all out for just about anything. The sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ is the obvious theme of Colossians. The theme of the whole book this letter Paul wrote can be found in the words of Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Christ is all and in all. Sermon title is not... Uh, not original, it's from scripture. Jesus Christ must always be in our life and be in our life always. It is important to realize Paul's state of being as he pens the words from the Holy Spirit. He is not in an ivory tower of uh, apostolic academia. He is not giving a spectacular sermon from the safety of a Christian church nor is he tweeting a profound post from behind the safety of his screen. He is in prison, people. From a place of physical imprisonment, he is teaching the truth of the peace and security we can have in Christ alone. Within the life of the church, we must cling to this reality. We must be all in Christ, lest we be partly something else and Christ, which is a foolish contradiction and a fatal compromise. We need to grow in our knowledge of who God is, of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ and how we can express growth towards maturity, towards maturity to be used by Christ 
for his purposes. As we study chapter one, we can break down four main areas that give a foundation for being all in Christ. In the first 12 verses, we can discover Paul's description uh, for what this looks like. And as we go through the outline, for those of you concerned about outlines and notes and blanks, we're gonna spend considerable more time in point number one than the others. And so I'm going to read those first 12 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing." even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of light. The first thing we can discover uh, is Paul gives a description for the evidence of Christ in our life. There should be a celebration of joy evident because of our life. Even though Paul had not personally been to Colossae and thus was writing to an audience uh, who had never personally met him, Paul knew of their reputation. And the church knew of Paul's credibility because his relationship to their likely pastor, Epaphras. It was Paul's renowned ministry and mentoring in Epaphras that led to the founding of the Colossian church. As within the church body at Colossae, when we are all in Christ, we bring joy to others. We bring joy to others around us when they hear of us or interact with us. There is a good reputation and expectation established. Paul is writing to teach and give a warning, yes, but he is also expressing celebration, not condemnation. He starts off his letter reflecting on the good things he has learned by way of direct testimony from Epaphras rather than rebuke or judgment. This is an example to us as a church and in our relationship with others around us and our impact. Here's a loose illustration. Say that Dr. Brian Autry, executive director of the SBC, Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia, uh, he is uh, the executive director there who preached here on the Sunday that we commissioned Pastor Matthew. Say that uh, he is writing to another SBCV church, another uh, church within the same family. We would hope that he would write with joy and celebration, not because of the ministry that we are doing or the VBS that we just had, but because Christ was evident in the life of the people of Crosslink. 
In verse two, it is important to note that Paul specifically addresses two subsets of people whom he is writing. First is saints followed by faithful brethren. They're not the same thing. When he uses his term, Saints, Paul did not separate some Christians from others in the Colossian church, for every true Christian is a saint. However, Paul breaks out a distinction for us to pay attention to by using the phrase faithful brethren. Why is this important? He is referring to those who are walking towards maturity and the relationship in Christ, and that they have not faltered nor embraced the false teaching that Paul is concerned about in the writing of this letter. When there is evidence of Christ in our life, it should bring about a celebration of joy in others. Paul demonstrates this reality in the opening of his letter. There should also be a celebration of thanksgiving evident about our life. Paul also expressed his thanksgiving. His joy was not a nostalgic joy of an attitude of, oh, that's cute, or how nice they are. No, his response was much deeper than that. Uh, He shared with the Colossian church, brought a genuine thankfulness. There are three things Paul identifies that he observes having heard through the testimony. They are a familiar triad of Christian essentials we find repeatedly uh, throughout the New Testament. The first is a faith in Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. First Peter one, verses eight through nine says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as an outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are to have a faith in Christ that is strong, that is evident uh, to those around us. We should also have a love. The love that you have, Paul says, of the Colossian church, John 13, verse 35, reminds us of how others are gonna know that we belong to Christ. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the hope laid up. The hope laid up. This is an important phrase uh, because it really ties the other two together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We sang about that. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God, through faith for a salvation ready to be received in the last time. Our hope is incredible, the hope that we have in Christ and in salvation. These outcomes are three of the clearest outward examples believers can have. Genuine faith in Jesus will always have a true love for God's heartbeat, people. And for them to know him, because faith in Christ brings hope to our life and its many struggles and burdens. There's also a celebration of the gospel evidenced from our life. We see in verses five through eight, uh, Paul kind of get to the the core of, of what he's trying to talk about is so important. The word of truth. Why this phrase? Well, 
He's talking about the gospel, uh, which he says a, a bit later on. The gospel isn't a term that is used for a number of things uh, in Christianity. It means good news, essentially. The word is used uh, for, more, for one or more of the four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, called the gospel accounts. But the word is also used very precisely for the central doctrines of the Christian faith concerning Jesus, mainly his death, burial, and resurrection. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul clearly states that the gospel that he preached is that Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures. Paul lays this out clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. I won't take time to read that now, but write it down and you can look that up. Pastor Robbie Galati, uh, in his book on discipleship called Growing Up, explains quite simply what had happened here in the Colossian church. Some of you are, know what I'm about to say. The gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. You are not an end all of the gospel. The gospel came to the Colossian church so that it could go to others. It came to Paul, it came to Epaphras, so to someone else that we are going to share it with. Paul says, in all the world, this is happening. Well, that's a kind of a strange note because you know, from our context here, we know that that wasn't all of the world at the time, but here's the thing. This phrase is a legitimate and time-sensitive hyperbole that uh, the recipients at Colossae would have understood. At that time, the known world was Rome, and Rome was ever-expanding during this time in history. The gospel was spread all over the Roman Empire, and as the Roman Empire spread, so did the gospel. This is a great example, and this is why I draw your attention to it, of how God works in ways unseen and not always understood by us, because the Roman Empire certainly wasn't godly. God uses governments politics, war, persecution, and even imprisonment to accomplish his purposes. We need to remember that. Paul also uses this exact phrase because of the doubt and confusion about what the truth of the gospel in fact was. The corruption of various false teachings, which we won't get into at this point in the study, were creeping in in both subtle and overt ways. The third thing he says about the gospel being evidenced from our life is that it is bearing fruit, constantly bearing fruit. What fruit are we to demonstrate? What was Paul saying was the evidence of Christ in their life? Well, he says it elsewhere. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And he says in Ephesians chapter five, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children in the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul is not speaking of good works here, the good works that uh, the Colossian church might have been doing. He's, that's not what he's talking about. Or even works at all. But the gospel of Jesus at work in us, producing fruit itself. 
The qualities and results in these two verses are part of how the gospel message works to bring others to Christ. The Colossians were all in for the gospel and it was literally bearing fruit because what does the verse say? It was increasing. The gospel is both persistent and inescapable. It permeates those who have it and those who seek and listen bear fruit of it. Thus, Paul is saying here is that it is not so much about uh, us as it is the gospel, the work of Christ in us. He is not giving the Colossian church a pat on the back. Um, He is giving props to the gospel, the word of truth, and Christ's work in the church. There's another celebration that is part of this evidence, and that is a prayer that comes out from our life. Paul gives this prayer, but it is also a practical prayer. This passage of scripture, uh, verses nine through 12, deserves a sermon all itself. It is one of my favorite passages, and it is a nostalgic one for me too. The set of verses, which is an outline of prayer, according to Paul, was the flagship passage of scripture for all of those in student leadership at Liberty University, for anyone that was under uh, the leadership and ministry of Pastor Dwayne Carson, who preached here this very past Sunday. Paul presents a phenomenal outline for believers to follow as we pray not only for our own growth in Christ, but for others as well. This is an intercessory prayer. We get the idea clearly throughout these verses of Paul's concept of all in. If you take a close look at those verses, you find the words filled, all, fully, every, all, and all again. Don't miss it. Paul celebrates and acknowledges what has already been taking place in the Colossian church through an exhortation of practical Christian discipleship in the form of a prayer. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We strategically pray for someone uh, what they should be doing uh, as we pray for them. I do this with all my children all the time at breakfast. I do not cease in praying that they will be good listeners, obey and behave for mommy today, show kindness and love towards each other by not fighting or hurting each other with words or actions. Such a spiritual prayer, right? Really, it's more a prayer of survival, but you get the point. My wife, Kristen, and I also intentionally pray for uh, over our children, pray for and over our children each night what we call a blessing prayer. It captures a a good summary of the very points Paul is uh, talking about and is continually praying for the believers here um, for them as disciples. This prayer includes a couple of points. It provides uh, a direction uh, for knowledge, Paul is praying that they would have knowledge of his will, informed by spiritual understanding, to know God and what he requires of us is our first responsibility and is the beginning of our life, being always and always in Christ. To be all in Christ, always and in always, we have to be all in the word and growing in spiritual understanding. This is a wonder of the Christian life, knowing God, If you have never taken time to read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, it will wreck you. It will challenge you too, because reading it alone is no light task. 
Uh, it's a great resource for unpacking knowing God and, and who God is. John Phillips wrote that getting to know God is the highest, holiest, and happiest occupation in the universe. It is the very stuff of which eternity is made. There is also specific conduct that should be evidenced of a life all in. Paul again outlines this in his prayer by a prayer of deliberate conduct, verses 10 through 12. He's talking about a worthy walk, a knowledgeable walk, a powerful walk, a thankful walk. There's a familiar pattern here repeated over and over again in the New Testament. Our walk is based on our knowledge of God and our understanding of his will. We are to be fruitful in every good work. Paul said, this is just, Paul said this just a moment ago in the text. It is an important theme. This is how we can be fully pleasing to God and how we can have a worthy walk. This is not a means of salvation. It is not talking about being saved by the works, but our good works and worthy conduct are a result of Christ's saving work in us. John 15, verse seven through eight says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This prayer also has distinct criteria. Strengthened with all power, steadfast patience, joy, and thanksgiving. I will admit in my own life, these uh, two verses right here, God's been teaching me and reminding me of the significance of that this very week in preparation for today. Steadfast patience with joy and thanksgiving. As we walk worthy of the Lord, his strength is there to help us meet all life's challenges and to endure and overcome problems with circumstances, patience, and long-suffering with joy. This is a very familiar verse to be sure. It is often quoted in, in ministry situations or moments of encouragement or in counseling situations. But I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way. When we think of patience, we can think of Job and everything that he went through. James chapter five, verse 11, and his faithfulness. We can think of patience and long suffering by looking at Jeremiah's life. Lamentations chapter one, verse 12, and the perspective that he had. But when we think of patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, we think of Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse two. There must be evidence because through his son, God the Father has qualified us to share in eternal inheritance. Believers have an eternal security in Christ. But even in this understanding, Paul's wording is very clear. It is not by our doing, but in and through Christ alone are we declared saints. The words share and inheritance in verse 12 are the same words used for ancient Israel's portion of the promised land. Just as God gave land to Israel, God gives believers spiritual identity and inheritance, the relationship with and the redemption that is in Christ. There should be evidence of all our being in Christ. And when that is the case, Christ will be evident in our life and from our life. There's an everything quality of Christ for our lives. 
in verses 13 through 20. These verses, uh, this passage of scripture is honestly, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful and powerful descriptions and defenses of Christ and God's word. Paul nails it. I encourage you to read it uh, as you study over the course of this week. In fact, Warren Wearsby writes, no paragraph in the New Testament contains more concentrated doctrine about Jesus Christ than this one. The false teachers in Colossae, just like the ones we know today, would not deny the importance of Jesus Christ. They would simply dethrone him, giving him some due prominence, but not preeminence. But hear me loud and clear. Jesus Christ is king. No one and nothing compares to him. And Paul builds a case for this. He, he just captures several semesters of theology and seminary right here in this passage as a reminder to the Colossians of who Jesus Christ is. Quickly, for today, there are three important things to capture here before we move on. The first is the rescue from darkness. God rescued us from darkness. Our greatest problem is sin, a problem that can never be solved by a philosopher, a politician, a personal life coach, a financial planner, or even a pastor. Sinners need a savior. We could not deliver ourselves from the guilt and penalty of sin, but Jesus could and did deliver us. This deliverance involved even more than just separation from God and eternal damnation. We were delivered from the authority of Satan and the powers of darkness. How about that? Christians so often and sadly so easily forget this awesome reality in the victory in Christ. Jesus Christ did not release us from the bondage of sin only to have us wander aimlessly. That's good. Listen again. Jesus did not forgive our sins and pay the ultimate price so we could wander aimlessly or walk uselessly. The aspect of Christ's ultimate sacrifice demands an action of ultimate surrender in our life. There is a reality to our deliverance that we must understand to be all in Christ. There's also a reality of deliverance. Jesus Christ is preeminent in salvation. No other person could redeem us, forgive us, transfer us out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom and do it wholly by grace alone. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The phrase through his blood reminds us of the cost of our salvation. Moses and the Israelites only had to shed the blood of, of a lamb to be delivered from Egypt and all throughout the Old Testament we see that type of sacrifice. But once and for all, Jesus had to shed his blood for us to be delivered from sin. And there is a revelation of his dwelling. Christ is supreme in all of eternity. Paul uses the word image and firstborn to communicate uh, the fact that Christ is and was and always will be. Uh, he, is, he has a likeness and manifestation of God. Uh, he is God, equal to God. All of these truths, he is God. This is not only tells us about Christ, it also tells us about ourselves. Because Jesus is the image of God. He is what we were meant to be in terms of character. We were created in his image. Jesus is supreme in eternity and we ought to give him first place in our lives. Christ is also supreme in creation 
And Christ is supreme in church. And Paul gives a, a great description of, of the reality of, of what that looks like. We need to be mindful of those principles as we're understanding what it means to be all in. Christ has first place always and in all ways. And we should be all in. We can be all in for Christ because he was first all in for us. As Christ has supremacy in everything, everything extends his firstness to as a wide a scope as conceivable and beyond. He must be first place in everything. Family, marriage, professions, possessions, our career, our job, our mission, our ministry, our time, love, conversation, pleasure, what we watch, what we think, what we choose, and in every way that we live. When Christ is our first thing, we show that we are all in Christ. The third area in verses 21 through 23 is that there is an encouragement in Christ for our life. There are two encouragements we have when we are found in Christ. The encouragement we have in Christ is this. There is nothing we can do to earn salvation. This is the most reassuring thing we can understand because anything we try on our own or of our own works will justify us. Nothing will work. Nothing will make us right or righteous in God's sight. We are all sinners in need of grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The couple things that we need to understand about the encouragement in Christ uh, for our life is that Christ. Uh, is the means for us. We um, have his all in reconciliation. When we believe in Jesus, when we say to Jesus, I am all in because I need you, nothing can separate us from Jesus. We are his, we belong to him and the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have the righteousness of Christ declared in us and that is even a more encouraging thing. Romans 8 gives a beautiful and powerful description of the encouragement we have in Christ by the victory we have in Christ, because Christ gave his all so that we can have all in him, he gives us, he calls us to give our all to serve him. There is restoration in Christ because Christ is manifest in us. The purpose of this reconciliation is not for our glory, but for God's. Yet it is for our holiness. God does not make peace so that we can continue to be rebels and live in ways that are right in our own eyes, that would make the grace of Jesus that Jesus won for us cheap, thinking this is is another false teaching. He has reconciled us to himself so that we may share his life and his holiness. We are presented to God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Colossians 1 verse 22 The word holy is closely related to the word saint as Paul used in addressing his letter. Both of these words express the idea of being set apart, being devoted to God. Warren Wearsby explained it this way. In the New Testament, saints are not dead people who during their lives performed miracles and never sinned. New Testament saints were living people who had trusted Jesus Christ. 
The most important thing in our Christian life is not how we look in our own sight or in the sight of others, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 4, but how we look in God's sight. Paul's emphasis on our holy standing before God was certainly an attack on the false teachers, for they promised their followers a kind of perfection that nothing else could give. The truth is, you already have a perfect standing in Christ. So why seek for it anywhere else? Because Christ gave his all so that we can have all in him, he calls us to give our all to serve him. The fourth and and final few verses uh, are the expression of Christ in our life. In these last few verses, Paul addresses two things, suffering for Christ and serving Christ. We are to give our all in two important areas because of one important truth. The first area is we must express Christ by giving our all in ministry. Paul's statement, made a minister according to the stewardship of God, is a huge reality to come away with from our study today. God has ordained that we as believers in him have been given ministry to steward. Carrying out our ministry is a clear expression of Christ in our life. We're gonna talk a lot more about that in the fourth part of this sermon series. As a church, we need to get serious about what we are doing for Christ. Not out of obligation, not even out of obedience. Hear me clearly, out of devotion. Devotion to Christ is the method that will bring about joy and fulfillment and the best lens in which to steward, to be responsible and trustworthy with what God has given us. The important truth that I mentioned is this, the mystery Paul talks about, which is the gospel. Because of the gospel, all of this matters. We as the church, as individual disciples of Jesus must be a light of this hope or we have for, for us to, to be able to share to the world, to the lost and dying world we see in our culture everywhere we look. And the second area is we must express Christ by growing all in our maturity. There are three key ways Paul challenges us with in which we can accomplish growing in maturity. They are admonishing, teaching, and striving. We need to admonish others in God's word. We need to teach ourselves and others to grow in maturity. And we need to continue to strive in those two areas for maturity, striving. The word is also translated struggling, which we will see again in next week uh, that we'll talk more about in chapter two because that's how chapter two starts out. We'll unpack that further then. The reality is that Paul claimed that this struggle was accompanied by God's energy and strength, which energized and motivated him to press on. Labor, striving, works. The the repetition of this idea of energy stresses the inner strength that is supplied by the Lord. Although there are struggles in our Christian walk and ministry, the revelation of the gospel of being all in Christ gives us the hope to persevere. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. As we conclude, there's an illustration that I want to provide that kind of helps unpack what the Christian life looks like being all in or not all in. Our life must constantly grow towards a reflection of Christ. This requires a commitment and devotion 
As we commit ourselves to Christ's example and devote ourselves to his word, which gives us the formula for a life lived for Jesus, we mature. And this takes an all-in attitude. A clear illustration uh, is that of mountain biking, with both subtle and obvious analogies to the Christian life. Cross-country mountain biking is a year-round sport where riders bike primarily on a, on a single-track uh, forest-type trail that's, that's very rugged and, and has different, different uh, levels of difficulty. I may know a bit about uh, the Christian life, but not about mountain biking. To me, it sounds like punishing physical torture that I was not cut out for. Broken bones, outdoor allergies, bears, snakes, mind-numbing exhaustion, uh, basically an asthma attack waiting to happen. Kind of like running, just with a bike. I, I don't get it, and I don't know that I ever will. But the Baylor family here at Crosslink knows it well. In fact, Nathan is dad of Team Baylor and the head coach of our local Shenrock Youth Mountain Bike Team. They're pretty much incredible. Much of what we can learn from the intensity, the intentionality, and the involvement of mountain biking can be equated to the Christian life. Paul often made athletic illustrations, running, boxing, competing, training, all those different things. He knew we would understand, or at least most of us would. Some of us have to work harder to understand. I asked Team Baylor uh, to help me illustrate here as we end, uh, their awesomeness of being all in, or, or rather perhaps not all in, with mountain biking and how that equates to the Christian life when we are not all in for Christ. And so let's take a look and see what it means to look like and be all in Christ. That is not what I had in mind. Please be careful with that, Luke. Um, Liam will be very upset if you break it. <laughs> a balanced bike. That's not going to get us very far on the mountain trails. In fact, he might end up, well, I don't know. Uh, let's try again. Okay. We got some training wheels on this time, but uh, that's not going to get us very far. When we have the training wheels on in our Christian life, we're not going to be able to accomplish all that God has for us. We need to take them off and grow towards maturity, which hopefully the, the next illustration, oh my goodness, I better get out of the way. This is a mountain bike. This is a mountain biker. And he's, he's able to do some moves and, and, and go down the stairs, but he's still not quite all in. We did make sure that no one was sitting in that front row uh, for all three services today. Like mountain bikers, Christians, disciples of Jesus, improve over the miles. Following the line of more experienced disciples or bikers to learn what works and taking risks along the way. We have to challenge ourselves. We have to grow through those exhausting climbs. It takes focus to have the Christian life or to be a mountain biker. Injuries happen sometimes. I think everyone that just went through here on stage has had an injury at some point. Uh, it comes with the territory. So does it with the Christian life. But some of us are trying to do the Christian life not all in. 
We're, we're trying to make a go of it on that balance bike, hobbling through. Some of us have figured out the training wheels and, and got those on, but, but we're, not, we're not there yet. We're not all in. We need to grow in Christ, not of our own abilities because we know we will fail. But I know that there are some here today that, that need to take that step of faith uh, and demonstrate an increasing knowledge of who God is in their life and be all in for him to be all in. We need to get ready. You remember I said at the beginning of the sermon, we need to be ready for what God has for us. Are you ready personally? There are two questions that I wanna ask you today. To, to borrow Pastor Dwayne's uh, word term from last week, some of us need to take an inventory. All the believers in the room need to take an inventory of what your life is like in Christ right now and how you need to grow. Maybe there's something you need to surrender. Maybe there's something that you need to give up. Maybe there's something you need to do that you're not doing for the Lord. Maybe you need to grow in Christ. You can make that decision today. And in just a moment at the end of the service, I would love for you to share uh, that decision with our prayer team. If you need prayer for one of those areas of life, if there's something difficult, if there's a challenge uh, that is preventing you from being all in, let's pray about that. Let's talk about that. The other question is to those in the room who may not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the starting line. That's where you need to begin your journey. And what God has for you is to surrender your life to him because we can't get through this life on our own, of our own accord, of our own will, of our own works. We're gonna fail. But when we have Christ in our life, we can be victorious in him who is greater than we are. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, I just pray uh, today that you would help us get ready as a church to be ready, to be all in you, for what you have for us to do. God, being good stewards of the work that you are doing here and the work that you have called us to, God, I pray that you would lead our church to, to surrender areas of their lives where, where they are not living all in. God, help us to be all in for you. And I pray, Lord, for the one who, who right now is, is, is sitting there wondering and, and struggling. I, I don't know Jesus. I don't have that at all. Lord, I pray that, that you would work in their heart and life. Lord, and, and if you're that person, you can pray this right now. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I surrender my life to you because I need you. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk in a new life, living for you. If you pray that prayer at the very end of the service, there'll be an opportunity for you to respond and, and pray with someone who would love to, to take you on, uh, on that next step and, and help you understand what that next step in your life with Christ is. God, as, as we as we prepare to sing and, and have this time of invitation and inventory, Lord, I just dedicate uh, to you uh, our lives. God, help us to, to be all in, uh, in every way, so that others will know that we are serious about our relationship with you, Jesus Christ, in your name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. 
you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.